0: This Day in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a show that pays tribute to people of the past by telling their stories today. I'm Gabe Lusier, and in this episode, we're reflecting on one of the great shames of American military history, the time when a group of soldiers made no distinction between friend and foe. The day was November 27, 1868. At dawn, Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer led a surprise attack on a peaceful Cheyenne village along the banks of the Washita River in what is now Oklahoma. Heralded as the first notable victory of the American Indian Wars, the so called Battle of the Washita would be more accurately described as a massacre. If Custer and his troops had bothered to do any reconnaissance, they would have found that the village was on reservation soil and that the inhabitants were not hostile. There was even a white flag flying above the dwellings, a sign that the tribe was not inclined or prepared to fight. The roots of the massacre can be traced back to just after the Civil War, when white settlers headed west and began forcing Native American tribes onto reservations. Many of the Great Plains tribes fought back against the encroaching settlers by attacking wagon trains as well as isolated farms and homesteads. In October 1867, the U.S. Army tried to put an end to the raids by negotiating peace with several Native American chiefs from the Cheyenne and Arapaho nations. As part of the proposed Medicine Lodge Treaty, the various tribes would be provided with food and equipment and would be relocated to reservations in what was called the Indian Territory, now the state of Oklahoma. One of the Cheyenne chiefs present at the meeting was Black Kettle, a peace-inclined elder who had led a group of about 250 people. Black Kettle's village had been attacked by the U.S. Army before, and he believed the Cheyenne did not have the numbers or the firepower to stand up to them for long. He signed the treaty and agreed to move his people to a reservation on the Washita River in what is now western Oklahoma. Several other Cheyenne chiefs refused to sign and continued raiding white settlements well into the next year. This put Black Kettle in a tough spot, trying to live in peace while American forces and other Cheyenne tribes waged war all around him. Finally, on November 20, 1868, Black Kettle paid a visit to the American commander at nearby Fort Cobb. He was concerned his village might be caught in the crossfire and requested that the U.S. Army station troops to protect them. But the chief left empty-handed that day after being told that only General Philip Sheridan could grant that kind of protection, and he wasn't there. When Black Kettle arrived back at his village four days later, he did what he could to make it clear that he and his people weren't part of the fighting. He flew a white flag from the top of his dwelling and made plans to try to meet with General Sheridan in the coming days. However, unbeknownst to Black Kettle, General Sheridan had already sent troops into that part of the Indian Territory, not to protect the people on the reservations, but to attack the hostile native forces who also lived in the region. Sheridan ordered his troops, quote, to destroy villages and ponies, to kill or hang all warriors, and to bring back all women and children survivors. He made sure his soldiers understood that cruelty was the point, adding that he wanted, quote, all segments of Indian society to experience the horrors of war as fully as the warriors. The first group of soldiers to reach the Indian Territory was the U.S. 7th Cavalry, led by George Custer. On November 26th, his scouts came across Black Kettle's village, They reported the findings to Custer, and he immediately ordered an attack the next morning. It's unclear whether he and his troops knew the village wasn't hostile and chose to attack anyway, or if they just didn't care enough to check in the first place. What we do know is that Custer chose to attack, unprovoked, while most of the village was sleeping. He offered no warning to the inhabitants and made no offer of peace prior to opening fire. Instead, at dawn on the 27th, Custer divided his 700 troops into two units and began the attack. The first group of soldiers was sent to the far side of the village in order to lure all the armed warriors to one position. Custer then led the remaining soldiers to the opposite end of the village, which was unguarded. After just 15 minutes, the fighting, such as it was, was over. According to Custer, he and his men killed over 100 Cheyenne warriors, though other accounts report losses ranging from 30 to 150, with many casualties being women, children, and elders, including Black Kettle and his wife. An additional 50 or so women and children were taken prisoner, and roughly 800 horses and mules were killed. Custer also burned all the dwellings and the village food supply to ensure the village no longer posed a threat, though, of course, it never had in the first place. Custer's attack, along with the rest of Sheridan's campaign, shook the confidence of the warring Cheyenne tribes. Their armed resistance soon came to an end, and they gradually moved to the reservations. As for Custer, His hollow victory won him acclaim among the undiscerning, ensuring that he wouldn't learn anything from what had happened. Eight years later, in 1876, Custer's recklessness caught up with him at the famous Battle of the Little Bighorn. Once again, he charged into a Native American camp without checking to see who exactly he was fighting. This time, he found himself vastly outnumbered and was killed on the battlefield. At the time, the quote-unquote Battle of the Washita was viewed by many as a great American victory, but the civil servants of the Indian Bureau saw through the patriotic spin even then. They called it a, quote, massacre of the innocent and cold-blooded butchery. Even today, the Cheyenne people continue to campaign for the battle to be called what it really was, the Massacre of Washita River. I'm Gabe Lusier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com.